from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. In this episode, we're going to double up a little bit. We're going to do some additional thoughts on the Notre Dame game after uh, I've taken a look at the at the game again. And also going to preview the Jacksonville State game. Didn't think it was worth uh, doing two episodes for those two things. So we're just going to double up here and get through each pretty quickly. So as far as additional thoughts on the Notre Dame game, when I went back and took a look at it, I was uh, I, I was paying a lot of attention to what was going on on the line of scrimmage in particular and what was happening at the quarterback position in terms of some of the pressure and some of those different things. Now, one of the first things that stood out to me the first time through, and we talked about this in the Hot Takes uh, podcast as well, but it stood out even more the second time, was just how uncomfortable Jordan Travis looked, especially early in the game, but he never really got comfortable in this game, and how he impacted at different points the, uh, the, the success or failure of the offensive line. There were a few times where he pulled a rabbit out of the hat and stepped away from pressure uh, correctly, but there were... A few, he was responsible for at least two sacks by my reckoning and uh, missed some early openings on a few other plays that uh, that that he he failed to to uh, to handle well. And really, all three interceptions were completely on him, just making some bad decisions and and not really reckoning with not really just taking care of the ball. I mean, as simple as that. Uh, on the on the first part of this, thinking about the pressure and all of that. Main thing is you can't get too deep in the pocket, and this is a common mobile quarterback problem. It's really easy for guys who who run well and move really well to get a little bit too deep. Basically, you you're expecting in say a standard five step drop, which is a three step drop from the gun, you're telling your offensive tackles to run the defensive ends outside and to run them around the technique takes them takes the defensive end outside the eight yard mark so as long as you're not deeper than eight yards quarterbacks should be able to step up inside that and you're fine but if the quarterback is at say eight and a half yards or nine yards when the offensive tackle steers that guy to the eight or nine yard marker well he's steering him right to the quarterback who's where he's not supposed to be and that looks like it's completely on the offensive tackle but the, sh- the quarterback actually is responsible for that sack. And yeah, the tackle may have even gotten beat. But at the same point, the tackle, if you're going to get beat, you're going to get beat to that outside and then try to recover by pushing him out beyond where the quarterback is supposed to be standing. If you drift in the pocket a little bit, trying to get a little deeper, sometimes a guy that's not seeing quite as well will end up drifting a little bit deeper. Sometimes it's just a matter of mobile guys move around a little bit. And they get stuck there, and this this leads to some some extra contact in the pocket. And there were a couple of occasions where Travis was just too deep, and they'll work on that. That's a fundamental thing, and you know that's that's something he's going to have to get better at. There were also a few times where he needed, and this was a main focus in the uh, film breakdown over on Patreon. There there were a number of times where he needs to slide up, and maybe he needs to climb the pocket and then slide over a little bit from pressure rather than trying to spin away from it or run away getting deeper the offensive line actually held up for the most part there were a few times where he got some pressure got there was some penetration but for the most part one of the things that was that was best about this game when i went back and i looked at it from the offensive line side is they didn't allow a whole lot of leakage up the middle most of the pressure came in the b and c gaps 
which is good for a quarterback. The worst thing for a quarterback is a gap pressure. And Notre Dame did get a little bit of that. I mean, they started sugar in the a gap a little bit at different points and were able to, uh, to generate some pressure running backs. Didn't always, uh, communicate as well there and weren't always in the in the perfect spot uh, either and sometimes they overloaded that that's to be expected that's on the quarterback to get it out hot but for the most part I mean when I would freeze frame it it's like wow there's actually there's a pocket here he's actually capable there's a, there's space for him to step up and a lot of times the way that Notre Dame ended up doing this rush is they wound up with basically a little bit of more of the pocket to Travis's left. So he needed to climb the pocket and slide a little bit left and he had space in a couple, in a couple cases, he had space not only to to climb and slide just a little bit left, but had he done that, he would have had a ton of space to just run straight up field. Uh, One case in particular down near the end zone early in the game, when he did the patented EJ manual uh, uh, spin, spin move in the pocket and he spun right into the uh into the the edge guy if he had just slid and stepped up he's probably running for a first down that was a third and six if i recall and that's the kind of thing that they just have to get they have to get fixed that's the sort of thing that that uh just fundamentally he's going to have to get more comfortable with sliding and climbing away from pressure rather than trying to run laterally so that when he is running he's running upfield or he's climbing and then then taking off what was discouraging to me was first of all how happy his feet were at different points and how quickly he would look for a particular key and then you would see him immediately drop his eyes and you know he was seeing ghosts at different points and look i mean he's not had great protection through most of his career so it's understandable but you've got to as at the quarterback position You've got to get to where your feet and your climb and slide in the pocket is largely disconnected from where your focus is in terms of your eyes. You have to sort of peripherally handle that and you have to feel that while you're still looking upfield or you're just not going to be as effective. And there were uh, there were too many times where he would check, they would take away tr- the first read or it just wasn't enough space that he was comfortable throwing it. And then you would immediately see him drop his eyes and try to... Uh, try to make something happen with his feet. And I think he, he bailed on, on some plays a little too early in terms of his eyes or in terms of being able to slide and and make a play happen without dropping his eyes. So that again is something that he's going to have to work on. And, and these are not lost cause situations, but they're things that I'm sure that, that the staff this week will have gone over with him and will be doing some extra stuff in practice to work on uh, with him. Uh, there were also a few other cases where he just flat out needs to get rid of the ball quicker. Uh, he seemed at times to me to be a little hesitant to to throw because he didn't feel like he had windows. So there were guys open in the flat in particular and on some checkdowns and things that he needed to hit right away. And it looked to me like he just didn't feel like he actually had the window to hit that. And he's got to be able to find that window and get that ball out you know, if he has to do it with a different arm slot or whatever, he's got to be able to get that ball out and get it to his guy right away when when the defense allows that, when the defense presents that as an option. So, uh, and and also on some screen stuff, you know, waiting just a little too long or also footwork, not, so fading back a little bit too early rather than setting his feet, making it look like a pass play and then fading, which then sells the screen a little bit better. Just a few little things that 
that can be done better at that position. And there are things that I think Jordan Travis can get better at uh, as, as he gets more comfortable and gets a little bit more used to having a better offensive line. If this offensive line can stay healthy and do what they did against teams that are not as good as Notre Dame, he's going to get used to having a little more, pre- more, more uh, time than he's had in the past. So those are, that's a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Uh, an example of a play where he should have gotten the ball out right away was the fourth and fourth and two call uh, from the 33 where that I'm not, I'm still not a fan of that call, but if he'd gotten out, gotten that out to McDonald right away, that's probably a first down. McDonald popped open on that little quick out on that little arrow route right away. And if he, if he has his eyes to that spot and is reading that correctly, I mean, it's third and or it's fourth and two, you have to hit him immediately. And if there's nobody outside him, if there's some, if there's a little space, you hit that right now, put it on his numbers and that's first down. And instead he waited a little bit too long. And if you, if you miss the arrow right away, that's going to close down because the, the coverage guy is going to get there. And it looked to me like he had his, had his mindset on hitting the number two guy there. And then that got closed down and he, you know, kind of was in a position where he had to win to the corner athletically or throw it sort of back inside. And he tried taking that, that throw back inside and that led to an interception. So again, this is a situation he could have made things a lot easier on himself just by basically taking the snap with the little play action and then getting the ball out right away. I mean, just throw that now, as soon as he sees that the, that the outside coverage is not in position to make the play on the outside, he's in good shape. So that's some, that's the sort of thing that needs to be done. It's just being able to throw on time and and to the guy that's open rather than waiting rather than waiting for uh, for a bigger a bigger play and the, the the interception the the interception where Kyle Hamilton came all the way across the field that's another example of just being careless with the football it's a great play by a great player on the other side but again you can't be in a position where you let the ball stay up in the air that long pretty much ever, but certainly not late in a, uh, in a, in a play. And when you're, when you're running to the sideline, you just can't float that ball out there. You've got to drive that ball or you've got to throw it out of bounds. And if you can't get it, if you can't drive it from the, from the body position that you're in, in terms of on the run, you just got to throw that ball out of bounds. Uh, they did a good job covering that up. It was a designed shot play in terms of a, a wheel route to try to go to Corbin and Notre Dame played with the corner over top of that. And basically what Travis did is he pumped to it to try to get that corner to bite. And he did, and then stepped out and tried to throw it over the head there. But again, he's only looking at one player. You Once you once you pump to a spot, you know that safety's coming to wherever you're pumping. And you just can't throw that late. And it's little things like that, being a little careless with the ball, not accounting for where the extra defenders are going to come from and just being late on some throws that are some things that, that, that basically need to improve at that position. Obviously Milton brought a spark when he came in. I am a little worried that, you know, he just, again, in terms of his health, I'm not sure how many, how many reps he can give a game. And I don't think he knows how many reps he can give a game at this point. I think you need to find a way to make, make sure that he, he's involved in the game plan and that you have an opportunity for him to, to get a few drives in any given game, but you can't really count on that or plan on that right now, given how things are. But again, you could see the difference with Milton in the game. It was just night and day in terms of how quickly he was able to get the ball out and how comfortable he was throwing into windows that are a little smaller. 
Uh, and Travis just basically needs to look at that and go, oh, wow, yeah, he got rid of that there. I should have gotten rid of that same concept that early. And and that just makes the offense look a lot better. It really helps the offensive line a great deal. Uh, even though, again, Milton got some pressure, he was able to get get rid of the football uh, a good bit. So that that's the first thing. Second thing, I didn't really talk about this in the uh, in the the hot takes bit, but frankly, I mean, you look at if it weren't for a couple bad snaps, they're they're in position to win that game. Uh, I didn't mention that before, but should have been mentioned. And you know, you look at the final offensive play of regulation. Went back and looked at that. That's that's probably a first down if that's a good snap. The slot was about to come open. They they were bringing a blitz, and with Milton the way that he had thrown it, he's probably going to get the ball to the slot there, and that's that's a first down. And they may well score and put that away, put the game away in regulation with a good snap. And that's where again your starting center's out. Baby on Johnson's not as reliable, not as consistent a snapper as uh, as Maurice Smith, and that that bit him a couple times in this game. There were a couple others in the early earlier stages of the second half that just didn't. The, the snap kind of threw the quarterback off a little bit and uh, and blew up a play or two, which again, those are those are critical mistakes and you don't see them as, as often uh, unless it's a really bad snap like at the uh, like at the end of regulation. but they still really impact impact plays. Your quarterback, it changes where his eyes are. it throws off timing for for run plays. It's a lot of things that 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 change there depending on that. Now I am actually on looking at it. A little surprised that Babyon Johnson has is still snapping, you know, with the traditional technique, you know, so basically hands on the laces and you know trying to spiral the ball back, rather than doing the dead snap technique, which is where you uh, grip the the tip of the ball and you put the other tip on the ground and then you just snap back where the ball is kind of dead in the air. Maurice Smith is using the dead ball technique, and frankly having coached both ways I've coached snappers before having coached both ways, I'm more a proponent at this, at this point of the dead snap technique. I think it's easier to be consistent with that technique than the, than the traditional technique, especially once you start sweating, it's, it's easier to, uh, to maintain control with your hand on the ball, the way the dead snap technique works rather than, uh, rather than, than spiraling it back. And, you know, especially as you really get to sweating or you have to move a little bit, the spiral technique, the traditional technique is, is can be harder to do. Uh, and I, I'm a little surprised, like I said, that Bavion is using that traditional technique. I, I'd have probably at least had him experiment with changing by now and maybe, and you know, odds are they did and he just wasn't comfortable with it. But I, I think that would have been something that in the off season and so on, I would have liked to have seen him get, uh, get better at and use that technique rather than the other. But anyhow, that's uh, that that was that's just a little technical note. So another couple things, another couple observations on the offensive side. I thought Notre Dame coming out in the odd front look that they did and playing soft uh, really threw Norvell and staff. I mean, Freeman has been he has favored kind of odd fronts and and different uh, different uh, multiple looks with a lot of pressure in the past, but generally, if you go back to the spring game for Notre Dame and, and the buzz out of camp was that they were going to, they were going to retain a lot of the even front stuff that they did. And they did through a good portion of this game, but that they were going to still stick with a lot of the even stuff. Cause they just haven't recruited for an odd front all that much. Uh, 
But, you know, I think Norvell was prepared for what he had seen from Freeman in the past and from what he had seen from Notre Dame last year and really expected to see something different on those first couple drives. And I, I think they they got thrown. They were preparing for some even front high pressure looks. And you could see those screens. They got blown up partly because there just wasn't the pressure coming that they would have expected. Uh, you know, on on the one, I, I think based on uh, on Freeman's past, you'd have expected a, a corner blitz from the from the boundary. And I think they probably anticipated that and tried to throw the running back screen into it. And there was no blitz. They just played soft. And there was really nowhere to go. So I think Notre Dame won the opening script there in terms of preparation. You got to give Norvell and staff a lot of credit for recovering and finding finding uh, new ways of attacking what Notre Dame was showing over the course of the rest of the game. But I do wonder how much that impacted Travis over the course of the rest of the game because of him just not seeing what he expected to see early and how much that would have that would have been something that he had to kind of deal with as he moved forward. So, so yeah, is is he a little bit less comfortable for the remainder of the game just because he kind of got shell shocked and not seeing the looks that he expected early on? I, I don't know. I I continue to think that the running backs are a good bit better than I expected. I like Ward a lot more than I thought I would based on spring game and 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 fall camp and all of that. I was worried to be honest that he was you know, as a former walk-on and yeah, he was a good three-star prospect coming out of high school, even though he was a walk-on, you know, he, he could have gotten a scholarship a lot of places, but I was worried that basically you're looking at a guy that was kind of a product of Florida state, not being as good on defense. And, you know, we'll see what he looks like against the quality defense. And he got out there and that dude's a baller. He looks so much like Devonte Freeman over and over again. I'm talking about the little jump cuts and hesitation, you know, the, the patience to a jump cut to straight downhill acceleration that I just really like about this guy. He's got great vision, and I think he's going to be a, a core part of the running game moving forward. Uh, obviously, Corbin is is the lead, but I think, again, Ward is, is has stepped forward and is, is going to be the next guy in the way that they're doing things, largely because his vision is is the best of, of the rest of the bunch. And I think he's actually got better vision than than Corbin as well. Just really fine seams uh, well, and 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 make sh- and he doesn't get caught for losses all that easily as a result. Uh, overall, I thought the offensive line was a lot better on the second watch than the first one. They were average or above average throughout the game until Gibbons got hurt, and then I think there was some drop off between Gibbons and Lucas, and they'd already had a little drop off between Smith and Baby on Johnson. Now Johnson. I think conducted himself well, minus the snaps. Uh, there were a few places where he was just not quick enough to handle a couple things, but overall pretty good. And I, again, I think on the interior, I was, I was really pleased by how well they were able to prevent leakage in both the run game and the pass game through those a gaps and into the B gaps. They did pretty well there. And if they can stay healthy, that can be a pretty good group. I mean, they can be above average, which I think is almost a year, kind of a year ahead of schedule if they can stay healthy, but that's, that's the real question. Now, if you have a healthy chunk of real estate to sell in the greater Jacksonville area, you need to talk to Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Louis is the best in the business at staging the house, making sure that you have the very best photos, videos, all of the things necessary to make your home pop off the screen when it comes to someone doing an online search and over 90% of home buyers start by finding their homes online. Lewis does the best job 
in the business at getting you eyeballs and getting you people coming through your house. He'll make sure your house sells faster and for a better price than anybody else. So if you want a healthy chunk of change for your healthy piece of real estate, you need to talk to Luis Marquez and let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, just a few observations here. Jermaine Johnson, who I definitely called Jeremiah Johnson a few times on the Patreon film analysis. Yeah, Jeremiah Johnson, totally different character. But anyhow, every bit is good on the second watch. Talking about the the little things, doing the little things right. Uh, from chipping the, the, the tight end at different points and slowing him down, then getting into the proper rush lane to handling the edge as a, uh, as, as a uh, run supporter, all sorts of things that he did. And just the, the level of intensity and the, uh, the passion that he brought to the game really changed things for, for Florida State up front. I do think he wore down a little bit in the second half. They're going to have to manage his reps all season, but it's going to be easier than I thought it would be to do that because I thought Quayshon Fuller played his best game as a Seminole noticeably better in run support and setting the edge than than what I expected and certainly better than I'd than I'd noticed the first time through. He did some things with his hands that he hasn't done since he's been at Florida State. So got to give credit to Coach JP and definitely to the strength and conditioning staff because this is a guy that that clearly bought into what they're doing and he came in a lot faster, uh, a lot quicker and and uh, and stronger than he's shown in the past. So looks like Fuller actually it's going to make a real contribution at Florida State before he's done. Uh, looks like looks like he'll be a player there. And I thought Kushney also looked better in relief than I expected. He's got some thickness to him and some nice suddenness and burst. So they'll find ways to use those guys as as primary edge uh, backups, and that that's going to really help. You want Jermaine Johnson to be on the field when it's uh, when it when it's crunch time when he can really make the biggest difference. So using some of those guys in situations where it's a, you know, second quarter drive that's starting on the opponent's 30 or something like that, you getting those opportunities to slide those guys in and get them some reps in the middle of part of the game, I think is going to be really important. Uh, but again, much more pleased with the Florida State edge situation than I thought I would be coming out of this game. Uh, feel like you can definitely see the result of better strength and conditioning development and uh, and some better players, just flat out, in terms of having uh, Johnson and Keir Thomas. You definitely notice their their difference out there in terms of what they what they bring to the table as experienced guys who understand how to play, and uh, and as guys with some bulk as well who can handle their business in the running game. I also thought, and I didn't really notice this as much on the first watch, but I thought not having Jamie Robinson in the first half really hurt this team. Uh, there were a few places where I think. They'd have actually been in better better position to make some tackles. Uh, they might have been a little better directed had had he been on the field in, in the first half. So that that I think it's absurd that a targeting penalty from his time at South Carolina carried over to the first half in this game, and, and I think it cost him. Uh, the fourth defensive tackle to me is still a, is still a question mark. Jarrett Jackson I think got most of those reps and and he played, but to me was up and down and, and really mostly down. He needs to be more physical. He got pushed around a little bit on the goal line. Uh, the body, the physique is there. He's just got to, he's got to plug into whatever power source 
you know, Briggs, Johnson, and uh, Fuller, and and Care Thomas, what, whatever they're getting to play at the level that they're playing in terms of intensity, he's got to plug into that and, and get electrified a little bit and see if he can play with his hair on fire just a little bit more. Because the physical stuff is actually pretty decent there, but he, he just isn't quite there to where he needs to be. They have a clear three guys with Briggs, uh, Fabian Lovett, and and uh, Cooper. And Cooper played a whale of a game. Cooper was really good on the inside. Very pleased with what I saw from Cooper. That's a That's a player that I think has really taken some steps forward. And I think, again... In this game, you could see better conditioning and better strength from Cooper. That is a result of of some of the uh, strength and conditioning stuff that they've that they've improved. I, I think you could definitely see that with him. But those three guys are look. You're looking at SEC level interior guys. Uh, you know, top top half of the F- SEC level interior guys. Maybe not to the you know traditional Florida State level, which is above that SEC level. As I would as as most of us are aware, but you're looking at SEC level front when you have those guys on the field altogether. But the problem is that fourth guy is not quite there. And just some of the depth up front is, is not what it needs to be. But again, a little better on the edge in terms of depth than what I expected. And I think that bodes well for Florida state moving forward. I really liked the pressure packages that they put together. Uh, you know, being able to put Johnson, Bridge, uh, Briggs, Thomas on the inside, so Keir Thomas slid down inside, and then Amari Gaynor on the field as a pressure package. I thought that was that really showed out, and and they were able to get some pressure with those those four guys as primary rushers, and then inserting a, a backer. Uh, that was that was something that I I really liked in terms of what they were able to do personnel wise. I think uh, that again bodes well for what they're able to do for the remainder of the season. The question again. The, they're depending on some guys to stay healthy. How how much can those guys maintain the level of play and the intensity level with the reps that they're going to be taking? And you know how healthy are they going to be in game eight, and game nine of the season? Uh, this is where I think the more they can do early in the season to to get some wins and make sure that they're in in great great position there, the better. So and of course that's obvious, but but. Uh, that's those are the the biggest observations defensively in terms of personnel in terms of scheme i thought this was actually schemed up pretty well uh they got a little over aggressive a couple times and notre dame burned them most notably on that third and 19 uh but even there i mean i understand the call given notre dame's tendencies and you 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 know you don't necessarily expect that to be a screen there I, i think they probably again they're kicking themselves a little bit for the specific call that they made uh there was I think a bust of one of the um, one of, from one of the the linebackers in terms of him being responsible to handle the running back. He saw the running back look like he was going to pass block and just took off. Well, the thing is, you're still there's one guy on that front that's responsible for screen, and you're responsible for the back. And if the back does leak out, you've got to be there. And and one of the backers just missed that. That's execution. And that's also, I think they, you know, again, they got a little over aggressive on third and 19. I think they, they should have just played for the sticks and they, I'm confident that the coaching staff agrees with that at this point. But, uh, when it all comes down to it, this is Florida state. And if you're going to have a coaching staff on the defensive side, make mistakes, I'd rather them be woe mistakes than giddy up mistakes. 
you got to play aggressive defense at Florida State. And I, I saw a lot more of that in this game. And, and overall, I'm pretty pleased with that. you got to temper it a little bit, but they're headed in the right direction on that side of the ball, I think. So from here, we're going to go ahead and move over to the brief Jacksonville State preview. And the preview is brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. If you live in Broward or Palm Beach County and you want to have the the garage that is the envy of your neighborhood, you contact Nathan and and team over at Garage Makeovers and you let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right, so looking at this game, first of all, this is a team that Florida State played last year and fell behind 14 to nothing and then 21 to 7 before Jordan Travis then came off the bench and led five straight touchdown drives. So that alone kind of gives you a little indication of where things stand. Zarek Cooper, the quarterback for Jacksonville State, is a Clemson transfer. He was he was there last year and frankly he gave them a he gave them fits last year. He's a good player and able to fit balls into tight spots and can make plays on the move. He's a good, he's a good player. He's going to get, he's going to get some looks. And at the same point, despite falling behind 21 to seven, once Travis came off the bench and they were able to get a spark, Florida State still won the game 41 to 24. And it was 6.48 yards per play offensively given up uh, and only given up 5.79. 5.79. So, you know, pretty comfortable there, although that's a lot of a lot of yards to give up to a 1AA team or an FCS team. So, you know, not ideal, but I think this Florida State team is a good bit better than that Florida State team last year, and I think this year's Jacksonville State team is not nearly as strong as last year. Cooper is is back. But and and frankly, I was to be to put this out there, I was he was a guy I was actually hoping would transfer to Florida State in the offseason. That ended up not having enough legs, but he was a guy that at one point I was I was hoping would actually consider consider making that move. Uh he he chose instead to commit to playing to commit to finishing at Jacksonville State. But he lost most of his weapons from last year. If you look at who actually caught balls from him this last week, the top six receivers were not. I think it was the top six receivers were not on uh, were not on the list of guys that caught passes for Florida State last against Florida State last year. So he he lost a lot of the guys that gave Florida State the most trouble last year, and they they lost a ton from last year. I mean they were they were a good FCS team last year. This year they've got the quality quarterback, but they don't have as much elsewhere. And you know that's that is what it is. They were shut out last week by UAB, who managed to average. Little over eight and a half yards per play, eight point six two yards per play against him, and hold Jacksonville State to three point one two yards per play, winning, uh, beating Jacksonville State thirty one to nothing. So I mean, this is a game where Jacksonville State's coming off of getting humiliated, and Florida State has a, this is a better Florida State team than they played last year. So all told, Florida State should dominate this game. They should. They should dominate up front. They should be able to handle their business on both sides of the ball. They should be, should be able to run the ball and should be able to stop the run. And then from there, the key to this game, to me, to, to ending the, the Jacksonville State threat right away, is how well the Florida State secondary plays, particularly tackling on the perimeter. Jacksonville State likes to throw a lot of perimeter screens, likes to get the ball to their receivers and short stuff and let them let them take care of business out there. 
if you tackle and play physical on the edge, they're going to have some trouble because I don't think they have the players to, to challenge you downfield. They had, a, they had one guy last year that could do it. This year, I don't think they have one. So you do that. You dominate up front. You tackle and handle business on the perimeter. You shut down those screens with physical play from your secondary. And then just don't be stupid. Don't give up little trick plays or slip uh, slip uh, verticals on, this, on the screen action, that sort of thing. Don't turn it over and you win this game comfortably. I expect that Florida State will give both quarterbacks time and ideally you get a little bit of time for Chubba Purdy at the end of this game. Ideally, given the situation that you have at quarterback where Milton is not a, a, a lock to be able to play uh, extended extended reps all season, you, you want to make sure that your younger guy is is prepared. But I think you need both Travis and Milton to play some in this game and then ideally you can get up enough to, to see a drive or two from uh, Chubba Purdy and give him a little bit of, uh, of comfort, uh, get him some comfort level with live rounds uh, in this year's offense. So we'll see. But to me, this is a game that the Wake Forest game is kind of the hinge game of the season to me. But this is a game that will tell us a lot about the mentality and mindset of this team. If this team comes out and dominates this game and shows the same kind of fire and passion that they did against Notre Dame, you're probably looking at a bowl team and a team that is going to compete to to win more games than projected. If this team comes out a little bit listless and, you know, a little flat, you know, you can see that the loss to Notre Dame's carried over a little bit and, you know, they kind of kick the ball around a little bit over the over the course of the, the first half or whatever. If this game is close at all, that is a bad sign in terms of this team not having fixed some of the cultural stuff that, that it looked like they'd fix against Notre Dame. So in terms of projections, I think this is going to be a game where Florida State pretty close to doubles up, if not more double more than doubles the yards per play of Jacksonville State. I'm projecting Florida State similar to UAB ends up with over eight yards per play and uh less than four yards per play given up, right around four yards per play given up, I think is 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 fair. And I've got this as a 45 to six final score with a 99% chance of winning. So I, I think this is a, a game where they are going to come out and they are going to show that the, that that the culture has changed and that they want to prove that they're better than they've been in recent years and that they can take care of business. So if they do that, I feel much more comfortable coming into that weight game, which I, like I said, I think that's the hinge game of the season. This will, this will give them an opportunity to prepare a lot for that game. We'll see how they, how they do on that. One last thing before we go, and this last thing is brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So the final thing today, we're going to go ahead and get to the bottom of the mailbag. A couple additional things came in over the course of uh, the last couple months, weeks, whenever these came in. I'm going to go ahead and read them. Uh, I, I suspect, even though they came from different accounts, I suspect these are probably from the same person. Confused about why even have a podcast? Just hang it up, Jason. You're a busy father. Just hang it up. You're washed up, outdated, and irrelevant at this point. Hang it up. Then the next one. You are washed. Just coach, bro. Just stick to coaching instead of wasting our time and money. You're a good religious interpreter and father. Stick to those things, bro. Nah. Nah, I'm not just going to stick to those things. Thing is, there's a lot of truth here. I, I am washed up, outdated, and irrelevant. But I'm still here, and odds are, you're still listening, bro. 
So thanks for that. Thanks for the feedback. And uh, I'll just keep avoiding wasting anybody's time and money with superfluous episodes that don't have any that don't offer anything. And we'll go ahead and wrap with that. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.